the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. And, and so they're making this distinction here. And unfortunately, some people can do this even today. You know, they, you, you can have certain convictions about things that are non-salvation issues. And, and it becomes a standard for you, which is fine. But the problem becomes when you make it a standard for other people. And if it's not a, you know, if it's not a biblical thing, it's just a personal conscience thing. And it's not a salvation thing. It's just a personal conviction. And so you want to live by certain standards. You know, I know, I know certain people like, okay, we're going to have no TV in our home. Okay, that's fine. You know, we're going to be eating totally vegan. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Are you placing your personal convictions onto others? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that it's perfectly fine to have your own standards in which you live by. There are some people who eat kosher and some who do not. There are some people that allow television in the home and others do not. Pastor Gary explains that these are personal convictions. However, they do not make or break a person's salvation. So be careful of thinking your own convictions should be others. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. While you're finding your place there, just to get a running start, you'll remember that as we've been looking here at 1 Timothy, which is similar to 2 Timothy and Titus, in that those three books are called pastoral epistles, They give us practical guidance of what the church should look like. It's God's handbook in a practical sense for how the church should conduct itself, what the church should look like, how it should govern, uh, what are some of the qualities and characteristics of, of the church. And so far, we've looked at four different qualities. One is it should be a place of sound doctrine. There is an absence of truth in our culture. And the church should certainly fill that void uh, by presenting truth, and the truth should be consistent according to Scripture. Doctrine is important, and Paul challenges young Timothy in this letter, who is the pastor of the church at Ephesus, to remain true to sound doctrine. Don't go off into error, but stay true to sound doctrine. Number two, it should also be a place of grace, where people come in broken, sinful, uh, messed up, and and then they find forgiveness, and they find a relationship with Jesus, and, and they understand His grace. Uh, you know, somebody once said that normal is only a setting on the dryer. Okay, none of us is normal. 
Uh, none of us. I, I mean, because we're all part of the dysfunctional family. We all came from Adam, meaning we're all part of the Adam's family. All right? And therefore, we're all broken, messed up people in need of forgiveness and grace. And so the church should be a place where we find that, a place of grace. Number three, it should be a place of prayer. Paul talks in chapter two. He says, I urge everyone to pray. Make requests, prayers, and intercession for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So he says, pray in general for everyone, but pray in particular for your elected leaders. The church needs to be a place of prayer. And then last week, and actually a couple of weeks, to get through chapter 3, because uh, godly uh, elders and deacons should also be a part of God's church, the local church, and we spent a few weeks going through chapter 3 that talk about the different qualifications for being an elder uh, slash pastor. Not every elder is a pastor, but every pastor is an elder. Uh, Some have a particular calling, but they still have to qualify, and deacons as well. Uh, They aren't part of the leadership of a church, but deacons are part of the lay ministry of every church. Very important and very valuable to involve the laity in the ministry. Uh, Church is not just about professional clergy. It's about the involvement of the laity. It's about the body of Christ serving one another, helping, using their gifts. And in particular, there's a group that was raised up in the early church. Acts chapter 6, we see the first time that uh, deacons were first called, and they were to live by a higher standard that they might be used Uh, as instruments of ministry in the body of Christ. So between elders and deacons, you have uh, people who help care for and minister to and serve uh, within the body of Christ. So that's where we left off. Now we come into chapter 4, and it's only uh, 16 verses. I'm going to read all of it, and then we'll backtrack and and dig this chapter apart and see how far we get tonight. So chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, 
to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul opens up this fourth chapter in his instruction to Timothy on kind of a somber note. But it's nevertheless a true note, and that is that the Bible speaks of a falling away from the faith in the last days. And Paul warns Timothy of this. He says that the Spirit clearly says that in later times, meaning when we get closer to the return of Christ, and no doubt we're we're living in some of those end times, at least uh, to one degree or another, And he says that in those later times, some will, now good news, not all, but some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So this is an important point for us to recognize because, you know, clearly Paul's writing in the first century and and he's speaking about later times. So we are later than the first century. So obviously we're closer to this fulfillment. And I think that we, if we stop and recognize a little bit, we're seeing some of this happening in our own days. Now, uh, tragically, overall, while the gospel is going to go to the far corners of the world, thanks in large part to advancements of technology. I mean, we're living in a day when, unlike any other day, the gospel is reaching remote places around the world through internet and satellite dishes and, and uh, you know, other kinds of social media and new media. The gospel's going forth. Uh, the reality is that because the gospel is going forth, as people hear it, they will be without excuse. But the sad tragedy is that many will refuse the faith or even abandon it. Now, the word here in the, in the Greek is aphistemi. When it says some will abandon the faith, it's the Greek word aphistemi from two words, apo meaning off and histemi meaning to stand. So it literally means some will stand off to the faith. Now, I, I don't necessarily know if this means, you know, some professed a faith and then they rejected it, or whether it just simply means that some will stand off from the faith because they don't want to have anything to do with Christianity to begin with. Uh, e- either way, it's tragic, and Paul says it's going to happen. Uh, this same Greek word is used again in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read it to you. In Hebrews 3.12, it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Same Greek word, aphistemi. Now, this is where we get into all this debate about Calvinism and Arminianism. Well, Pastor G, what, is this talking about people who were saved and now they aren't? Or does that mean they were never really saved to begin with? I don't know. Okay, and, and that, the debate doesn't matter. The tragedy is real, though. There's some who either at some point profess and reject or altogether don't want to have anything to do with Christ. Either way, it's not good news. And the Bible predicts it happening, and it says even more than just saying, I reject Christianity or I don't want to have anything to do with it, they actually will turn to deceiving doctrines and things taught by uh, demons, and so, you know, it's even more than just, I don't want to hear this. It's actually turning from and turning to. And when I said a moment ago that we're seeing some of this in reality, the truth is that some religions or some belief systems are rooted in demons. 
And I know that sounds strong to say, but listen, even from their own historical vantage point, certain faiths, certain belief systems acknowledge that it was inspired by some other angelic being. For example, in Mormonism, Joseph Smith, when he was a teenager, says that he had a vision by an angel called Moroni, and, then, and that, that there was a missing part of the Holy Scriptures, and that this angel led him when he was 21, a few years later, when he was 21, that this angel led him to a place that only he saw, that only he found, of golden tablets that revealed additional scripture, today called the Book of Mormon. Now, Moroni is an angel never mentioned in the Bible, okay? And he says that he himself was the only one to have found it. The, the golden tablets were supposedly written in an ancient Egyptian dialect. He didn't know ancient Egyptian, and thus he relied, this is his own testimony, he relied on a, what he called a seer stone, a seer stone that helped him to analyze and to translate this ancient Egyptian dialect. But it was all on the basis of, quote, an angel that appeared to him. Now, there's a similar thing in Islam. Islam teaches that the Quran has a single author, Muhammad. But Muhammad was illiterate. He could neither read nor write. And so he dictated visions to others to write down, which ended up becoming the Quran, dictated visions that he said he received from an angel that he named as Gabriel, or in, in Arabic, Jibrail. And so he was sitting in caves contemplating life, because he married a woman 15 years his senior who was wealthy, so you can contemplate life sitting in caves when you do that. And he was inspired by this, this angel. Now at first, his friend said it was jinn, that they were demons who were telling him these things. But then other, no, sorry, he said that. He believed these were jinn, these were demons that inspired this vision, these revelations. But others convinced him, no, it was Jibrail, it was Gabriel. And thus the whole Quran came out of a vision from an angel, just like the Book of Mormon came out of the vision of an angel. But the, the Bible says in Galatians 1.8 that if Paul says, if we or if even an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. So the fact of the matter is those weren't angels at all that appeared to Joseph Smith, that appeared to Muhammad. Those were, in fact, doctrines of demons that have now taken a stronghold even in our culture today. So as Paul here is warning, he says, listen, in later times, people are not only going to reject Christianity, they're going to turn to things taught by demons. The influence is happening even in our own day. You need to be aware of this. But even so far as it depends upon us, so let's just narrow it down to our own personal responsibility. The Bible talks in several places, and I'm going to give you the examples, several verses, about the falling away from the faith. For example, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 3, Paul says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now, here it's a different Greek word for rebellion. It's apostasia. We get our English word apostasy. 
The Bible says part of the end times, the revelation of the Antichrist and a falling away and rebellion from the faith. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, he's talking about different signs of the times related to his second coming. And in Matthew 24, verse 10, Jesus said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. It's a different Greek word there. It's skandalizo. People will be scandalized. Jesus predicted as we get closer to his return, people are going to f- turn away from the faith and they're going to be scandalized. They will betray and hate each other. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this, verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It's a different Greek word there as well. It's apostrepho. So you have four different Greek words in the New Testament, because the New Testament was originally written in Greek, that speak to a falling away, a rebellion, a turning away from the faith and from truth. Now, again, you can debate, well, what does that that mean in relation to, did somebody profess Christ and then they fall away, or did they never, were they never really saved? Listen, the Bible's coming at different angles using four different Greek words to say basically this. As we get closer to the return of Christ, you make sure that you're standing firm in your faith. Don't be deceived by error or false doctrine or even demonic doctrine or, or cultural shifts that influence your thinking and behavior. Just hold true to the Bible. Hold true to your faith. Hold true to Jesus. That's the message. Because the warning is that there's this tendency to walk away, turn away, fall away, use, use whatever word you want to do, but the picture's not pretty, so it's a warning to us. It's an exhortation to us. Stand firm in your faith. Don't be deceived. Know your Bible so that you can tell what truth is from a lie, so that you can tell if somebody's trying to deceive you. Know what you believe and why you believe it and who, whom you have believed. This is important because as we get closer to the return of Christ, there's going to be this this mass, this apostasy, this abandoning of the faith, people being deceived and uh, following things taught by demons. Now he adds here, back, back to our text, he adds here in verse 2, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, circle the word conscience in your Bible. We've talked about this word before because Paul likes this word uh, here in, in 1 Timothy. It's the Greek word sunidesis. It's from two words, soon meaning with or together, and iedo meaning to see or to know. So in Vine's dictionary, Vine's just translated the word like this, a co-knowledge with oneself and God. A true, healthy conscience is one of self-awareness with God always in the equation. And in the Bible, throughout the New Testament, there are several types of conscience that is mentioned. The Bible speaks about a good conscience. It speaks about a clear conscience. It speaks about the potential to have a weak conscience or a guilty conscience or a corrupted conscience or the one that Paul writes about here in verse 2, a seared conscience. Now, we don't have time to talk about all of them, so we'll just focus for a moment on this last one. This is the worst. A seared conscience is the worst conscience to have. 
and he, and he adds here, as with a hot iron, to paint the picture that it is possible for someone to be so numb to the truth and so numb to their awareness of, of God and right and wrong that they actually have a seared conscience as with a hot iron. So, you know, look, people with a seared conscience, people who have no conscience, psychologists call them sociopaths. Those are the ones who commit horrible crimes because they have no moral compass about right and wrong. And, and so they just do things without any regard to right or wrong. They have no, no conscience. They have no moral compass. And uh, Paul says here, this is, this is the worst thing, worst place to be, to have, have a conscience so seared, so, so seared as with a hot iron that you're numb, that you're desensitized to right or wrong. So, you know, the idea of, you know, when, when um, cattle get branded, you know, like, like seared, uh, whatever gets seared ends up having, it's, it's numb. Um, you know, any of you who work hard with your hands and you get calluses on your hands, you know, those are numb now. You have no feeling. It's, it's desensitized. The back of my throat is completely seared. I, I had my tonsils out twice. This was back in the day when they used to take tonsils out. Now they leave them in. They're like, ah, oh, no big deal. But back in my day, growing up around the Civil War, they took out your con- they took out your tonsils, and I was so young they took them out again because they grew back. If you, I don't know if you know that your tonsils can actually grow back. So I had my tonsils out twice, I had adenoids out twice, I had tubes in my ears, my whole head was messed up. But it got to the place where after after two times of my tonsils out, my ear, nose, and throat doctor said, "We're just going to take care of this. We're going to cauterize the back of your throat." And so he literally, I mean, he was a German doctor. He had no bedside manner. Let me just tell you something. He's just like, open your mouth. We'll take care of this. <laughs> and he just cauterized the back of my throat using like chemicals. Like it's totally serious. I could swallow glass now. I don't taste a thing. I exaggerate, but I, nevertheless, cauterizing or searing, you know, get the image in, in, your, in your mind. It's, the, it's a picture of being completely desensitized. And Paul says this is the worst place to be with your conscience, is, is having it seared. Now, he's talking here about hypocritical liars. There are some false teachers who are going around and who are inciting people to abandon the faith and follow these deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And so he's going to talk about these, these misguided people here, these hypocritical liars, uh, in, in the following verses. Verse, verse 3, he says, They forbid people to marry... And order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. He says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. All right, so apparently there's some people going around the early church here, and Paul was warning Timothy about this, who were basically over-spiritualizing things. And they were saying it's more spiritual, for example... What's inferred here that they were teaching was it's more spiritual that you don't marry. Because Paul says here they're going around forbidding people to marry. So the inference is that they were suggesting it's more spiritual if you're celibate. You're you're more spiritual if you're celibate and you're more spiritual if you're vegan. Right? Because they're saying like don't don't eat certain foods. And so, you know, and and so they're making this distinction here. And unfortunately, some people can do this even today. You know, they you you can have certain convictions about things that are non-salvation issues, and, and it becomes a standard for you, which is fine. But the problem becomes when you make it a standard for other people. 
And if it's not a, you know, if it's not a biblical thing, it's just a personal conscience thing, and it's not a salvation thing, it's just a personal conviction, and so you want to live by certain standards. You know, I know, I know certain people, like, okay, we're going to have no TV in our home, okay, that's fine. You know, we're going to be eating totally vegan, okay, whatever, that's fine. And, you know, and we're never going to go to movies, okay, that's your conviction. But the problem becomes when you think everybody else should be just like that. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary. While this New Testament letter of 1 Timothy talks a lot about leadership in the church, the principles you find within apply to everyone. Each of us has a place where we can lead, whether in your job, in your home, or interactions with a younger generation. Are you displaying God's love to those looking up to you? It's not just what you say, it's how you live your life every day. And if you need some advice on how to do that, we encourage you to keep reading in 1 Timothy. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You'll be able to listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. And if you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you join us for worship this weekend. Just click on the Cornerstone Chapel logo at the top of the page at cornerstoneconnection.cc to get service times, directions, and all the information you need. One more time, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go but still, you know, but still you know, you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.